Hello, friends, and welcome to the One Sealed Letter podcast, where we explore the legacy of letter writing and bring this beautiful art form into the 21st century. I'm your host, Kay Collier, the voice and warm body behind this podcast, and Catherine Hastings and Company, our sponsor. For this episode, I initially wanted to find the shortest letter ever written and do a podcast episode about that letter only. As you might be able to imagine, a short letter wouldn't have much to say, so it maybe wouldn't warrant a full podcast episode. So today we're following that thread into another set of letters, and I'm really excited to share more about this story and what I learned. The shortest letter ever written, at least that we know of, it's a kind of a famous um, short letter ever written, was from Victor Hugo to his publicist. Um, Victor Hugo was most famous for writing um, Les Miserables and The Hunchback of Notre Dame. And after the um, after Les Miserables had been published, he sent a letter to his publisher with just a question mark, basically asking, how's it doing? How are the sales? How's my book? <laughs> and the publisher wrote back just with an exclamation mark. So who knows? I haven't found an original copy of these letters, but they are supposedly the shortest letters in history where they don't even have actual letters in them. It's just one punctuation mark in each letter. But also for me, just kind of a fun story, how uh, thinking about how punctuation can tell a lot of the story of how great his book was actually doing. But in starting to research Victor Hugo's letters, I inevitably came across the letters of his mistress, Juliette Drouet. And again, for those of you who have listened to this podcast for a while, you know, my French pronunciation isn't great. So um, for these letters, I went entirely through the English translations. Victor Hugo was a pretty interesting character and the relationship that he had with his mistress, Juliette, brought forth some of those idiosyncrasies. The pair met in 1833 after a production of Hugo's play, Lucrezia Borgia, where um, she was playing, Juliet was playing the murderous um, princess, prince, Princessa Negroni. The actress, um, she was an actress at the time, she was purported to be a great beauty, but not a very good actress. And there were a few other things in Hugo's life that kind of led him to a point of being totally open to this relationship. His wife, Adele, whom he married in 1822, had been having an affair for at least three years um, by the point that he met Juliet. And his heart was kind of at a point where he was ready to to move into this kind of great love match. The initially looking at these letters, it seemed somewhat one-sided. We have over 20,000, yes, 20,000 letters from Juliet to Hugo. Letter is a little bit of a misnomer. Um, a misnomer. A lot of these are scribbles. That's actually what she called them. Little pieces of paper where she jotted down things and they, um, I'll read a couple of them to you, obviously, um, but they're not full letters. Um, it's a lot of just her thoughts. And 
when I first saw these again, I thought, wow, this seems really one-sided. She seems maybe obsessed with him to write this. She actually wrote so much at the request of Hugo. Looking at his relationship from the 21st century, it's very hard for me to not think, wow, this man was really controlling and um, had some major issues. This does not seem like it would have been a good partnership by any means. I think that we just need to suspend our disbelief looking back nearly 200 years later just to see what their relationship and their communication was actually like. Hugo urged her to leave the stage, so she left her career as um, as an actress. He did write some roles for her, but as he didn't produce plays or do the casting, she didn't have a career after that. He put her in an apartment where she lived in poverty. He had a romantic idea of the way that she should live, which he called the marriage of escaped birds, which sounds as um, kind of unromantic as the the term to me sounds. I don't think I would want to live in a marriage of escaped birds. Um, so she really didn't have much going on. Um, she had complained to him about how boring life in the apartment was. Again, looking at this from 2022, he seems like a very manipulative person. He didn't want her to leave the apartment, especially because she was so beautiful. He was afraid that if she left, that um, she might meet someone else. So he would escort her out of the apartment um, on excursions. And he also really valued her opinion. And so it's kind of on the other side. He, she was somewhat of a possession in a way. Um, but then he wanted her feedback. Um, so maybe still more of a possession. He would give her tickets to see his shows. She would then provide extensive notes. He requested those extensive notes. So again, this strange relationship, in, in my opinion, where she really didn't get to live this kind of free and beautiful, or what I would imagine to be kind of free and beautiful love life. He had his wife and, and family separately. Um, and then she was in this apartment. And um, she even went into exile with him in Guernsey. Um, and so that's another part of their, their story, which I won't get too much into, into the podcast. But suffice to say that she was incredibly loyal to him. And um, he was very protective of her, often protective to an extent that in 2022 seems manipulative, dangerous, controlling, in my opinion. Um, despite all of that, they had a pretty successful match. I mentioned that they met in 1833. They were together until she died in 1883. He had been with his wife um, for 46 years, so from 1822 to, uh, let's see, I need to do the math, in my head, um, so 1868, and then um, almost 20 years later, um, still, he was with Juliet. Um, so 46 years with his wife, 50 years with his mistress. I mentioned that initially the correspondence seemed a little bit one-sided, in my opinion, because there were so many letters. <laughs> uh, but we know that it was actually Hugh, uh, Victor Hugo that 
wanted her to keep all of this correspondence and wanted her to write. Um, there is an unpublished letter from um, him which he, in which he wrote, Your letters, my Juliet, constitute my treasure, my casket of jewels, my riches. In them, our joint lives are recorded day by day, thought by thought. All you have dreamed lies there, all you suffered. They are charming mirrors, each of one which reflects a fresh aspect of your lovely soul. And there are stories that Juliet had wanted to throw these letters out. I mean, you imagine 20,000, that's a lot of papers to keep. Um, but he wanted to keep them. And so they, they really were something that he treasured. There's also a story of someone seeing her compiling these scraps of paper and asking her, Juliet, wow, are you writing a manuscript? Are you writing a book? And she laughed out loud about how preposterous that would be. Uh, and what I find so interesting about that is that she didn't consider herself at a level to be a writer, even though she was so prolific in this type of writing. And she was also a really important person to help Victor Hugo grow as a poet, a playwright, a novelist. She was a person that was giving so much feedback and editing in his writing. So again, I, it's hard to say from outside of their relationship exactly what the dynamic was, but the power imbalance is clearly there. And even the way that she sees herself, as I look back as a woman in 2022, I just think, what a waste, you know, here was a person that was only really valued in the light of this quote-unquote great artistic genius. For this episode, I purposely named it after her because I find so often female figures throughout history that are closely associated with male figures. I mean, I guess it could be the other way, but someone that's associated with somebody very famous, their life then is totally overshadowed by the famous person that they're connected with. And with Juliet, that is um, clearly true as well. There was a great um, translation of her letters, which was published in 1915. I linked to it in the show notes, or I provide the notes on it. You can just look it up um, and type in Project Gutenberg on Google. It'll come up. Since it's public domain, it's really easy to read. And the excerpts of the, the letters um, that I have today are coming from that. For, I want to say about the first 15 years of her scribbles, as she called them, or her letters, they weren't dated. It would just say basically like morning or evening. She would say the time of day, but she wouldn't say the date. And then I think it was about 15 years later, she started dating them. And so looking back historians have tried to piece together when they think things would have been, but it's not quite clear. Okay, so we'll get into this series of letters. Um, it's dated November 1st, 1839. Good morning, my dear little beloved, my darling little man. You told me so definitively yesterday that my handwriting was hideous and my scrawl nothing but a horrible maze in which you lose both patience and love that I hardly dare write you today, and it would take very little to make me cease our correspondence altogether. We must have an explanation on this subject, 
for it's cruel of you to force me to make myself ridiculous, night and morning, simply because I love you, and I am the saddest and loneliest of women. If my love be drowned in my ignorance and stupidity, at least do not force me to make the plunge myself. There was a time when you would not have noticed the ugliness of my writing. You would have you would only have my meaning and my and been happy and grateful. But now you laugh, which is shabby and wicked of you. This seems to be the fate of all Quasimodo of this world, moral and physical. They are jeered at. Form is everything, spirit nothing. If I could constrain my crab scrawl to say, my soul, my soul is beautiful, you would not be less amused. Therefore, my dear little man, pending the moment when I can join in the laugh against myself, I think it would be as well to suspend the, these daily writings. Besides, the moment has come when I must turn all my time and energies towards making my position secure. Nothing in this world can turn me from my purpose, for it is to me a question of life and death. I count upon you to help me, my beloved. I am asking you for more than life, for the moral consummation of our marriage of love. Let me go with you wherever my happiness is threatened. Let me be the wife of your mind and heart. If I cannot be yours in law, if I express myself badly, do not scoff, but understand that I have a right to put into words what you yourself have felt, and that I insist upon defending myself against all those women who get at you under pretext of serving you. I will have my turn, for I love you, and I am, and am jealous. J. Later that same day, you are good, my adorned one, and I am a wretch, but I love you while you only permit yourself to be loved. That is what makes you so tranquil and me so bitter. My heart is weighed down by jealousy this evening, and nothing less than your adorned presence will suffice to calm me. I carry hell and all the furies within my soul. I wish I could be sewn to the lining of your coat tonight. I feel I'm about to encounter some great danger and that I can only defeat by not leaving your side. If my fears are well grounded, I shall probably fail in averting the doom that threatens me, for will not be able to stay with me all evening. The compliments and flattery you receive will take you from me. I cannot deny that I am unhappy and would much rather be with you at Fontainebleau, at the Hotel de France, than in Box C of the Théâtre the Français, even when Marianne de Lorma is being played. Kiss me, my little man. You were very sweet in your new great coat, but you had not told me you had been to your tailor. I shall keep up with you by sending... Um, I shall keep up with you by sending for my dressmaker. I do not mean to surrender to the palm of your smartness and dandyism. Juliet. So clearly a lot of dysfunction and jealousy and jealousy that she names, which is really interesting. I meant to mention that in addition to having his wife of 46 years and his mistress of 50 years, he also had numerous affairs and it made her very jealous. And there was um, some pretty serious ones where she actually had, um, had, there was another mistress that had tried to make Victor Hugo leave Juliet and it turned into a huge fight. Uh, so it is a, a kind of interesting in the overall story how tumultuous it is 
and then also in the reading of the letters, how jealous she is and also wounded. The line that really stuck out with me is, but I love you while you only permit yourself to be loved. This is what makes you so tranquil and me so bitter. I don't understand how they were together for 50 years if she truly felt this way. I know that from the research I did around this topic, Victor Hugo had some really interesting philosophies on love and marriage and uh, a kind of dedication to this odd poetic view of love and sacrifice that um, philosophy he mentioned of the marriage of escaped birds so wanting his love to live in poverty and have nothing but love and how beautiful that would be he put her in that situation but he didn't put himself in that situation as well so that power imbalance um, to me is kind of infuriating <laughs> um, and she's naming it too she didn't have many prospects after leaving her career on the stage so it's also hard to know how I guess how willing she was if she'd had other options would she have stayed again I'm looking at this from 2022 and it's just not a, a probably an appropriate way to see it because it was so different when she lived but it's very hard for me not to put some type of moral lens on the way that he treated her and just be kind of angry on her behalf but that philosophy I mentioned about the way that they saw love, or at least the way Hugo found saw love, he had an inclination towards the drama and the passion in love and the, you know, the loss. And uh, again, this idea of like poverty stricken love and the marriage of the um, escaped birds. And so I'm also wondering if maybe she had that too and we can get this sense of real passion and anger that's this push and pull between them in the letters and maybe that was something that she enjoyed also clearly it was something that was really important to Victor Hugo as well the other line I carry hell and all the furies within my soul I wish I could be sewn to the lining of your coat tonight it's interesting how she talks about how much she loves him and how it's one-sided and then right after that oh and I wish I could be sewn in your coat in the research I did I also learned that he could be somewhat unpredictable in his love for her even though they had 50 years of love together and um, at one point when he thought that she was dying he wrote his children basically saying treat her as my widow because that is what she is to me. Everything that is mine is hers. He did have a, a venerated space for her. Um, but he also was obviously unfaithful, having these other affairs. He would withdraw his love and put her in a state of, I don't know if panic is the right word, but uncertainty. So for instance, when she was in this poverty-stricken apartment, she would greatly look forward to getting to see his plays and he would send tickets and she'd get to go and it was such a wonderful thing. But sometimes he would withdraw it or he'd say that he was going to see her and then he wouldn't. And so she had this emotional roller coaster with him 
the line about being sewn to the lining of his coat tonight, I read that also as the uncertainty of being with him because I know that there were times when she wanted to be with him and he he wouldn't be there. Um, kind of jumping around within the letter, um, the part about Quasimodo is interesting. Um, Quasimodo's the hunchback in the Hunchback of Notre Dame. So she's using a concept from his own writing in the letter, talking about how Quasimodo is jeered at solely by his form and that the, as she put, the spirit is nothing. And so um, she's annoyed that he's having a similar critique of her writing. She's kind of, what does it matter what my scrawl or my scribbles look like? It's the soul of my writing that matters. Um, and then saying Quasimodo, I took that a little bit as a dig of you of all people should not be so superficial and know that looks don't matter and that in a world where form is everything, it's actually the spirit that really matters. Um, form is nothing, spirit is everything. Okay. Um, yeah, and then um, the piece on the tailor, I couldn't figure out, I'm curious what you all think. When she said, um, you had not told me you had been to your tailor. I shall keep up with you by sending for my dressmaker. I do not mean to surrender to you the palm for smartness and dandyism. So she's wanting to kind of keep up with him and look as beautiful. So I take that as kind of like a flirtatious thing. Um, but also just interesting that she would be aware of his going, comings and goings and whether or not he'd go to a, um, to a tailor or not. Um, so we get a sense of her melodramatic style in these letters. Um, I imagine when she's calling him my daring little man or my little man throughout the, the letters, that that's a term of endearment. For those of you who are French speakers, so Angela, if, if you're listening to this, um, I'd love to know if in French, little man might sound like a nice thing. Um, it could be at this time, 1839, maybe that was a nice thing to say. Um, uh, but yeah, there's this balance of, I love you and you're horrible. And the story of their love was that way also. So very, again, very strange. And I, I feel angered on her behalf, but I also, um, I don't know. I feel myself a little bit, um, kind of aware of victim blaming of like, why did she stay? You know, which is, um, something we, we obviously know about with like domestic violence and stuff of like the myriad reasons but I don't really see their relationship was that they clearly had a deep love you know it was 50 years together he thought of her like a spouse even though they never married um but I I do wonder okay what was it for her she she loved his writing she loved being able to be a part of his creative world she obviously loved loved him deeply um, but the price she was willing to pay for that to me seems too high. Um, and maybe it just seems too high for, you know, a woman coming from 2022 who believes that women should have it all, <laughs> that they should have the great love and they should have the career and they should have whatever their hearts desire. And, um, that all people should be able to be loved deeply and not need to live in poverty stricken apartments, <laughs> um, to feel a great love, um, so I'm curious um, what you feel about 
these letters, I am glad that we are bringing Juliette Drouet into our history and kind of bringing her back alive. I had looked for podcasts on her. There were no English-speaking podcasts that even mentioned her. So I'm very happy that um, we have found her and found her 20,000 scribbles and scrawls. If you are interested in reading more of her letters, if it hasn't been super painful and annoying to read this melodrama, I'm already kind of wanting to burn her letter and say, Juliet, what are you doing? <laughs> um, but if you do want to read more, um, there is the, the book on Project Gutenberg, um, Juliet Druet's Love Letters to Victor Hugo. Um, and that was edited by Louise Guimbaud and translated by Lady Theodora Davidson. Um, so, uh, and so it's, it was translated um, over a hundred years ago. Um, and so it's all, you know, public domain, uh, place for you to, to fully read it and 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 see where it takes you from there. Again, I would love to hear your thoughts on the episode. What did you think of her letter or her scribbles? What do you make of this dynamic between them? How how can we separate the time that we're in and the time that they lived in? Or can we put this moral understanding of how to treat people <laughs> that you love and not just put them in poverty stricken apartments. Uh, am I being too hard on Victor Hugo? Am I not being hard enough on Victor Hugo? Um, can you imagine what it would have been like to love a person for 50 years and write 20,000 letters? I, I have, I write um, letters to my husband. I try to write one a year. They are all to him when he turns 60. So he doesn't know that I'm writing them. But even then, some years I might get two letters in. I'm going to have at most 60 letters that he will get from me and then birthday cards and that kind of stuff on top of that. Well under a thousand. And here we have a person that had 20,000. There was another quotation now that I'm just thinking of it and I know we're, we're wrapping up here, but he had mentioned that he wanted to hear all of her thoughts. And when she was complaining about living in this apartment and having nothing to do, he wrote to her and said everything that, um, to, he, he asked her to write everything that made her heart beat. So he really wanted to just fully possess her and know her. There's a part of that where I can see this kind of melodramatic love and vision of romantic love. Maybe I'm just cynical, but I also find that just kind of creepy and possessive and he needed to get her a nice apartment and let her thrive in whatever her interests were. As always, I want to thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please be sure to subscribe if you haven't already and review. And then of course, share it with your friends, share it with the stranger at the coffee shop, share it with people that you find might be interested in letter writing or pieces of history that have been a little bit forgotten. I won't be signing off today with Juliet's ending. Instead, I think I'd like to just sign off as I would have said to Victor Hugo. Bye-bye.